Blog Talk Radio. In association with the Sexy Witches Presents, Repomerds, the podcast where there's no such thing as indecent exposure, restoring nerd cred, one geek at a time. Here's your host, writer, Token Tom Clark, and the head hauntress, archivist, Elizabeth Catherine Gray. Huh? You said you were running the board, man. Uh, it was a softball. I it was out in the distant play, so I had to make a quick decision and change everything up. But anyway, welcome to another edition of Repo Nerds, restoring nerd cred one geek at a time. I am the head hauntress, and with me, as always, on Repo Nerds is Token Tommy Clark. How you doing, sir? I am hanging in there. Oh, my God. Life is getting in the way, right? Yeah, life sucks. Life is what it is. Eh. Well, but we still have our movies. At least there's that for a while. Yes, 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 we do have movies. (laughs) Why is it that when I have you watch a movie, it's, I don't know. I'm not going to say it. you watch things it's things that you're like why the fuck did i make you watch that because you have to that's why (laughs) you can't be a nerd okay one of my favorite (laughs) websites um from the beginning of the web and it's still there is badmovies.org i love badmovies.org they've been carrying a database of cheeseball movies for years and they have their lowest rating is a skull like, usually you're rated on slimes, one slime to five slimes, six slimes, right? More slimes, better. Skull. But you have to be a true movie geek. You have to watch a skull every once in a while. And that's the rule. On no, that no, you don't. No, no, I don't. I no, no. believe that. Oh, yeah. No, you do. No, I don't. I'm at the point in my life right now that if I watch any more bad movies, it's time I can't get back, Liz. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what, though? This wasn't that bad of a movie. This is at least a four-slime movie. I mean, maybe fuck. Yes, I mean, it's one of the slimiest movie. movies I've ever seen, actually. <laughs> it's a slimy movie. Well, are we going to get right into talking about society right now, or are we just going to tell everybody what we're going to talk about this week on the show? Let's hold off, and we'll bring that back in just a few minutes. So, yes, we are going to talk yes, about 1989 Society by Brian Usna. Hey, I can say it now. Remember how how hard I was having this Usna? And um, if you don't know who Brian Usna is, he's a producer of Reanimator he, uh, and Dagon, and he directed Bright of the Animator and this movie, Society. Uh, so we'll be talking about that a little bit later. But first, Tommy, what are we talking about besides our feature film, Ooey Gooey Classic? Well, you know, um, sometimes when you think about when uh, like you hear a song on the radio, for example, it brings you back to a time in your life, right? Quite often, sometimes. sometimes it does yeah. that. Okay, and there's movies that do that for you too. Movies that make you think of like a time of the year, like summer, for example. Yes, we're going to talk about some movies that make us think about summer. 
And also in honor of summer and festival season, uh, we are also going to talk, the reason why we picked Society is because last show we did Street Trash, which is one of my favorite ooey gooey classics. And then I said, well, this is the ooey gooey one I've never seen. Uh, so it's in honor of Blood Fest, which happens this weekend in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. It's the 18th annual. I've been, I went to the 16th fully dressed up and we'll talk about like the festival and just even if you, you really, everyone should go to Blobfest once, Tommy. It's pretty fun. Let's talk about that a little bit, too, for people that might be interested. The lineup is really good and classic this year. And uh, I, got, I took a lot of flack on social media today for posting um, the quote-unquote highest grossing adjusted by inflation horror movies of all time. And there was some controversy to that, Liz. Well, and here's the thing that was... I get. Well, mm-hmm. here's here's the controversy that was with it, and here's the list. Okay, I'm going to give you this list right now because we can start talking with this thing. All right, number. Okay, we're going to have a top 14 now. I've had to put into a top 14 just because, according to some people, there are questionable movies in my horror movie selection here. Now, I base these off of ticket sales, total ticket sales for the movie, adjusted by the average mean or the mean price of a movie ticket in today's world, which is $10.61, okay? So I took that and multiplied it by the number of tickets sold, and this is what you get. At number 14 is Silence of the Lambs. At number 13 is Alien. At number 12 is the 1979 Amityville Horror. And number 11 is Jaws fucking 2, Liz. Yeah. And well, number 10 is It. Big summer movie. Mm-hmm. Number 9, Tom Cruise's War of the Worlds from 2005. Now, this movie's given me a lot of flack because people are saying, that how can this be a horror movie? Well, because War of the Worlds established a survival horror trope. Thank you very much. Have a good day. It's as much of a horror movie as Alien is. Uh, it's it's a Holocaust film. Just like a zombie movie, or you know, it, it, it's yeah, the end of the world as horror. we know it. Yep. And uh, which is funny because number eight is I Am Legend, which created well the original book created what we now know as the zombie trope. Um, even though it was vampires, but the vampires weren't very; yep. they were kind of zombie-ish. Um, well, number they, seven, they were signs. Kind of. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll talk about that later. Number seven, <laughs> signs. Can you believe it? Signs uh, is on this list. I know, but it's a a good movie. It's an okay movie. Fatal Attraction. You see, though, there there is some argument about Silence of the Lambs being a horror film. Because the the cinematography is very much centered like a horror film. You're talking Silence of the Lambs or Fatal Attraction here? Fatal Attraction isn't really shot like a horror film. It's shot like a Hitchcockian movie. I mean, it's, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I love, don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it, it's Paul Verhoeven, right? Is that because you think it's Paul right. Verhoeven? I love Paul Verhoeven movies. So, but he does, you know, he, he did a horror film. It was called Hollow Man, and it's okay. This is really more of an old school thriller in San Francisco. Well, I mean, I have a little, I didn't so get any horror? grief. I didn't get any grief on social media over putting Fatal Attraction on this list. Well, it's Psycho None. Bitch 
it, it was a psycho bitch uh, subgenre. I don't know if you remember. It launched a thousand yes, films. Yes, it did. You know, it, you know, <laughs> you know like a whole subgenre. Basic instincts. Of, and, and some of them were horror, too. And Fatal Attraction was not Paul Verhoeven. Uh, Basic Instinct was Paul Verhoeven. Who was Fatal Attraction? Right. I don't remember. Uh, make sure if we're going to pull our geek cards, we pull the correct geek cards. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because we have the magic of the internet at my fingers right now. Mm-hmm. <coughs> oh, Fatal Attraction. Fatal <coughs> Attraction. It, it's also a beach. It does take place on the beach in parts of it. So, you know, it does. They go to the show. Oh. So. Adrian Lynn. Yeah, that's right. I couldn't remember who yeah. directed it. Adrian Lynn. Okay, um, yeah, that's a number seven. Again, a uh, six. Uh-huh. I get no grief for this. Number five, Gremlins. I get no grief for Gremlins. It shouldn't okay. get any grief for Gremlins. It's, Gremlins is a horror film. It's a kid's horror it film. Is, absolutely. You know what? There's no such thing as, you know, kids. Remember, horror films were aimed at children before they were aimed at adults. So, you know, yes. we can totally count. Go move on. Let's number four. <laughs> uh-huh. Number four. Oh my gosh, number four. You're really gonna want to hit your head on the wall. He's on the list again. The Sixth Sense. Eh, it's all right. It's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, it made a lot of money. Yeah. It's it's a pre- it beautifully shot a film. Yeah. I yep. mean, number I, three. I no it's a movie it. that I have gotten the most grief over for this list. You ready for this? Uh huh. We'll, we'll wait at number three. Number two is The Exorcist. Number one is Jaws. Okay, those are the, yeah. Those are your, okay. You want to know what number three I'm catching grief over? One of the scariest fucking movies from my youth. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters? How can that not be a horror movie? Well, it's psychotronic, it's, it's not necessarily a horror film. It's a not, it's, it, you know, you can go horror comedy with it, but... Horror comedy knows how horror. to turn off the okay. comedy, when though. When you say horror it never comedy, really, boom, it's horror. It, it, but it never really turns off the comedy. That's the big difference. Like, Shaun it of the Dead really is definitely a horror. horror comedy. At one point, it stops and becomes a horror film. For a brief moment, it knows when to turn off the horror and become a horror film. And there are times when you need that. Now, they're like, Leslie Vernon is another film that does that. Uh, you know, hey, it's comedy for most of it. I mean, I don't know if it counts. Ghostbusters knows when to scare you. It uses its it, gags. Now, we know that. And, and, and it's we a know because comedy. It's psychotronic. I mean, I, I don't. If I if someone watched it during the madness, I definitely don't cut it out because it has ghosts in it. Ghosts are thematic to Halloween. So, I mean, there's okay. that. One thing we both know, being people that cover the horror industry and cover film, is that. In a comedy, what is a joke called? A gag, right? Or, or in, in horror, it's called a stunt. Or it's also called a gag. No, it's called a stunt. In, in, in dark in dark rides, it's called a stunt. All of them are called stunts. Okay. Well, from, but it's the from same what idea. I've experienced is that um, from everything I've read and experienced, um, special effects shots are called gags. In horror movies, so well, maybe it's different jargon. I mean, it's all based. Yeah. I mean, I you're, I get your point, and horror and comedy right. are very, very close to each other um, in yeah, many based ways. Off of timing and pacing. Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely. Um, 
That's why John Kirkham could make a good horror film. He knows comic timing. It doesn't. It's not mutually exclusive. Look at Jordan Peele. <laughs> His timing yeah. in Get Out is pretty. Pretty. Okay. I mean, you time a watch to the beats in Get Out. If you really think about it, how like deadly precise that movie is. It's it's pretty now, impressive actually. I wanted to Go put ahead. my Jurassic Park movies in here. Well, because to me they're horror a, movies. The first one for sure is a horror film. And for anyone who doesn't think that a good old fashioned monster movie is not a horror film. Uh right. and the right. even the last here's one the problem. was a horror film. Not not this current Liz, one, but I, the one before it. If I include yeah. The Jurassic Park movies that can be considered horror movies, which are Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, um, King Kong, Jurassic Park 3, those can be considered horror movies. That's one, two, three, four, five movies that take up the rest and knock out the top, the bottom five, because that's how much money these fucking movies made. Well, it, totally, it makes the list the list of Jurassic Park movies. Now, I also wanted to put Terminator 2 Judgment Day on this list, but I didn't. Because to <laughs> me, the Terminator movies are, are horror films. They're cyber horror. Um, yes, they're action films, same as Alien is. Aliens is. But Aliens is still a horror film. Um, and I still think that the Terminator movies are. But because I didn't well, want to get Well, the first Terminator is a horror film. Once again, it's how it's shot. Without a doubt. You look at the, you know, with the angles and the imagery, all the post-apocalyptic, the skulls, the, the you know, the glowing red eye, all that. And then the ending absolutely is a fucking horror film. Like, like you know, yeah. the final. So, yeah, uh, I wouldn't call Judgment Day um a horror film that's really closer to an action film. And I think it, from there and on, it really becomes more. Action. Right. And that's why I didn't put it on but, my list. Yeah. But the first I, I one really is certainly an argument it. for. Absolutely. I believe I, once again, you know, I go by my madness rules and it would fit in with the horror theme and with Halloween. So well, I have no issues with it. If, any, if, if anybody that's out there listening wants to give us a call, you can call us at 646-716-9172. You can discuss with us if we, you think that Ghostbusters is a horror movie or not, as well as a comedy. Um, tell me I'm high. I don't care. You can do that. That's all right. I realize that's because that's recently. also probably you know what true. That is? And this is something that we needed to address here on the Repo Nerds because when, when when I was first doing the banners for this, you said, "No, this sounds a little mean. Why don't you make it a little nicer?" Remember that? And I I, 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 I thought about what, what you were saying there because instead of pulling people's nerd cards, we're restoring nerd cred, mm-hmm. making it positive instead of a negative it's okay if you bash somebody for their sports team okay it's okay if you bash somebody who is in a different service for the military it is not okay to bash somebody because they like anime and you don't well it is not okay i mean to bash somebody because they like serenity and you like battlestar galactica tom Okay. Remember that, Tom. I'm telling I'm saying this because I I I'm I'm putting myself out on the carpet here. Too long have I had WWF heel humor when I've been referring to things and people take it the wrong way. Now this is what I say to somebody. I met a kid who's got a head of serenity 
tattoo on his arm. He had the ship on his arm. And I said, oh, nice. Serenity, cool, man. I said, man, I'm glad you have your Battlestar Galactica. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you know, Serenity is not my thing, but I understand how it can be something for you because it's the same you know, that Battlestar Galactica for, was for oh. me when I was your age. Oh, 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 that reminds me. Thank you for bringing it up BSG. So I rewatched Star Wars Last Jedi last night. And now that I've watched Battlestar Galactica and gone back, you are absolutely fucking right. It really is ripped from Battlestar Galactica. Oh, my God. Like, and like we're not whole... going to rip apart The Last Jedi for all the nerd things. No. no, 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 no. But you are right about that. But I do want to say that everything I felt about it the first time I saw it, I still feel about this one. I think what works really works and what doesn't is is – Ignorable. It's a good time to go pee and um, get back to. But I think from the from the throne. Well, go pee. Okay, whatever. But but from the end, from the throne room to the final sequence is pretty fucking great Star Wars. So I, 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 you know, so I, I think that it's still a pretty good film. And, and my husband was agreement with me. He says anything that worked in the film, he said that all the stuff, except for the, the force pit thing, all of that, the island work, the, the, the Kylo Ren shit worked this time, which it didn't work before. He agreed with it. And he also thought that the Canto Bite stuff was like much reminiscent yeah. of Phantom Menace. He didn't like that. Here's the, thing. the Last Jedi is a big, giant fucking Easter basket um, that Ryan Johnson put everything into. Not just Star Wars references, but homages to every fucking director and every fucking movie he ever seen. <laughs> okay? That's exactly what he did. It is and kind of a kitchen it, sink kind of a film, isn't it? There's like everything that can happen is. in a movie in that and film, that's the, pretty much. You know, that's part of the problem that I have with the movie. Is because it's a bit too much, and I think that's why I like Solo so much because Solo is just not the Last Jedi. It's a simple. I still Star haven't Wars seen story. it. It's a, it's a western, and that's I, why I, I have no issues with westerns. So you know that I, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see if anybody. I actually threw our phone number up on my Facebook page to, to see if anybody will call and tell you that you're crazy if you think that Ghostbusters is on the list of horror films. I I I really think it's not quite counts on that list. Now, if you wanted to go genre pictures, yeah, it certainly is genre. Uh, but you know, that's just New York. You know what time it is, Tommy? Tommy, where'd you go? Oh no, Tommy dropped. So is he mad? Is it an accident? We don't know. We hope he comes back. Uh, Tommy. Tommy, where did you go, Tommy? Tommy, can you hear me? Can you hear me calling? Tommy. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, live radio. So let me see if I can get Tommy back, and let's listen to the trailer for tonight's feature, and we'll come back and we'll talk about summer films and Bloodfest and Society, which is by Brian Usna. So I'll be right back in just a moment. I've never been paranoid. Fear plays a large part in family life. I feel like something's going to happen. And if I scratch the surface, there'll be something terrible underneath. 
He's afraid his sister... Could you zip me up, Billy? ...is not what she seems. God, Bill, what's the matter with you? He thinks his friends are out to get him. Make waves with you. You're going to drown. People are what they are. Now you have to learn to accept that. He's about to find out the truth. <laughs> why, why are you guys doing this to me, huh? What, you've been living with these people all your life and you don't know anything about this? It's far worse than he could ever imagine. If you don't follow the rules, Billy, bad things happen. Didn't you know, Billy Boy? The rich of old sucked off low-class scum like you. Uh-oh, guy. Clarissa? Now, some people make the rules, and some people follow the rules. It's a question of what you're born to. You never were one of us. You know, you really deserve what's going to happen to you. I, I don't think so. Can't hey, you see they're setting you up for something? You know how I hate to give you drugs. You're officially dead. Don't go home, Billy. No, 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 no. Bill Whitney is about to become one. Showtime, Billy! With society. <laughs> Who are you? Let me give you a hand, Bill. <laughs> In Beverly Hills, what you fear is only the beginning. Anything for society. <laughs> society and hopefully he can get back on before then um uh, let's talk a little bit about bob fest and the uh festival that gave me the inspiration to watch society a film that i've been meaning to watch i'm a huge fan of brian musa um uh, one of my favorite films I'm of all back. time is his oh he's back i was just saying that uh one of my favorite brian musa films produced at the time is dolls it's in my top four favorite horror films of all time i love that movie um but the, the reason why I came up with Society was because of Blobfest, which happens in Phoenix, Pennsylvania. For a long time, it was actually a bucket list, Tommy. I actually been wanting to go to Blobfest since it started. I, I was on the West Coast, so still living there at the time. I heard about it and always knew about it. Um, and um, so two years ago, I got to go, and that was a lot of fun. Friday night, they have what's called the uh, runout. Um, it's based on, the, it takes place in the Colonial Theater, which was the actual film that uh, theater that the, the Blob was filmed in. Um, and they reenact the run out uh, with a floor show, like a two-hour floor show before it. So the, it sells out in minutes, and it did this year, one of the fastest sellouts ever. And they watched the floor show hosted by Mr. Lobo, who's been on Sexy Witches, by the way. And he's also a uh, mentor of my uh, favorite horror host. In the, in the whole world, which was Bob Wilkins back in San Francisco Bay Area in Sacramento. Uh, so uh, that was to meet, to b- meet Bond with Mr. Lobo over 
uh, Bob Wilkins was pretty special at Blobfest. And um, it's not just about the run out. They have a film festival, and they also have a short competition. Uh, my uh, buddy up in Baltimore, Christmas, Chris, uh, Christopher LaMatina, he actually won it once. It's called the Shorty Yayworth. And uh, he, uh, for I Was a Teenage Blob, which is awesome. Um, this year's films are kind of <laughs> classic. Um, normally they go for like, um, like, uh, uh, they usually go for two classic films and then one on Sunday is like an odd independent film, but it's all kid friendly. Um, so kid friendly horror, cause yes, it does exist. There's a fair, which is really neat. There's with the costume contest and vendors and music. And there's a, there's even a swing, co- a swing party at one of the clubs nearby, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, the films always are paired with the blob starting on Saturday. So no matter what day you go to see it, except Friday, which is the run out, you get to see the blob with another film. On Saturday, July 14th, it's going to be the blob and Creature of the Black Lagoon. Get this in 3D. So they're going to actually whip out the 3D uh, projector for this mm. one. So that'll be awesome. On Saturday, the evening late program is going to be the blob and I Mary a monster from outer space which is kind of like an invasion of body snatchers type movie um and then the late late show is the blob and the demon with the atomic brain which is pretty classic if you know that kind of stuff so that's on you know Saturday. i really love the remake <laughs> the modern remake of the blob um i thought it was fun isn't isn't kevin bacon in that uh no it's kevin dillon kevin, kevin dillon that's right Kevin Dillon yeah. and right. Shawnee Smith. Confuse your deal it. with your bacon, Tom. And and rough. Chuck Russell is the director. Frank Darabont yes. wrote the screenplay. It's their follow-up to Dream Warriors, which is also one of my favorite films of all time. And I want to make a I made a mistake. Demon with the Atomic Brain is the independent film that plays on Sunday with the Blob. Um, and there's going to be some speakers there. Uh, one of the things is uh, Steve McQueen's historian is going to be there to talk about it. Um, and I believe Richard Brownie is going to be there, and he was the man in the suit uh, in um, a Creature from the Black Lagoon. And I got to meet him uh, at Monster Mania this past, two, uh, past fall in 2017. So uh, it's always a good time. I highly, highly, highly re- recommend going to Blob Fest if you love old school movies and if you love uh, the Blob as much as I do. The Blob is also on my top ten favorite film, horror films of all time. It is a lot smarter than people give it credit for. A lot of people think it's a parable on the Red Menace, Tommy. They think it's communism. That is so simplistic because what is the villain in The Blob, Tommy? The people. Yeah, but who in particular? The military? The, the government? Adults. No, the, the parents. The parents. All the parents in the movie are are disaffected from their kids. They're jealous of their kids. Um, they, these these guys lost their childhoods in the war. And if you watch, they're, all they're trying to do is party and have a good time and reclaim some childhood. And they have to pesky with these teenagers who didn't have it as bad as we did, Tommy. So, you know, uh, they, they're completely dismissive. And it all comes to a peak when the principal himself has to take a, a, a rock and break into the school to save the town. 
So uh, there's a lot going on in The Blob. It's an incredibly good film. Um, It's really smart for what it is. Yeah, it totally works on the make-out B-movie level as well. And uh, so uh, I'm always excited. I have some Blob trivia. Okay, go for it. I have a Blob trivia. Um, Who shot the director of The Blob 2? Who shot the director of Blob 2? Yeah. I was going to say Chuck Russell. No, the director of Blob 2 was Larry Hagman. Oh, Larry Hagman, Blob 2. I'm sorry, I'm thinking remake. You're right. A.K.A. J.R. Ewing. A.K.A. J.R. Ewing. Son of Blob was one of my first mascot films ever for The Madness. It was for our sentient uh, slimes and odious oozes year. Yes. Uh, I used to love throwing, and I still love throwing oozes and slimes at my D&D parties. Um. (laughs) You my favorite, know. my favorite magic deck, Tommy, is my what I call the toss salad salad deck. I like the old <laughs> school salads, you know, that grew up the spores, and you know, and then you throw, and then they have thorns, and you throw them at everybody. I like that. I've always liked the molds and funguses in the green set. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> green is icky, but I have been playing a green elf. Um, commander deck lately that just doesn't lose <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> i i'm relearning how to play magic after all these years because it's like a neutral thing that myself and my husband's best can do so, <laughs> so yeah, we play a lot of magic. you can do it with your daughter too so i have a yeah, question well, for you because i want to get i want to get back to um i want to get back to society here because i yeah, didn't get a chance to talk, talk about, about it now that we so well let's just talk about now, where did I get yet? cut off when I lost my internet? What was I in the middle of talking? Uh, not really. I don't remember much, but it was actually almost a natural break. We, I was actually going to go into summer films, but because you lost, I jumped into Blobfest. And um, so, once again, people, if you want to go to Blobfest, it's not very expensive. It's a lot of fun. You can go to one film or no films or go to the, the, the festivals free. And it's this weekend, Friday through Sunday. So be there be and be square because, you know, it is the 50s after all. So uh, yeah. it's awesome. And so is society. I actually really liked our feature film tonight. I have a Tommy. question for you. I yeah? just want to ask you this. How yeah. do you want your tea? With sugar or do you want me to pee in it? Well, that's up to you. I, I don't want to know <laughs> if you're peeing in my food. What kind of line is that in a movie? Uh, the whole the whole thing is like outrageous. This is like <laughs> probably the most outrageous slime movie I've seen. And I knew it's I knew I would I was, people. I knew I was what I was getting into, but it still was rather amusing. Uh, the Great Shunting, by the way, that final sequence, that's what it's gotten nicknamed over the years, The Great Shunting. And they shunt a lot in that. Oh, yeah, they did. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, here's something I want to – I, when I look at it, when I watch one of these movies that you have me watch, and I'm, I'm just yeah. going to put it out that when I watch one of these movies that you have me watch, I, I, I try to look at what they were trying to do with the movie, or it, I try to look at it from a point of view of what this would look like in a modern era, in a modern setting, or, or made in a modern manner. And I think this is a movie here that really needs to be remade, and I don't think it needs to be a movie. I think it needs to be a television show. 
You know, it's funny. Uh, you say that because I just listened to a podcast, Shockwaves podcast, the Blumhouse podcast, and they had Brian Yuzna on a couple weeks back talking about society. And he said exactly that. He wants to adapt this to like a TV miniseries. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, too. It's, it's, it, I think it would work because not only is it the same premise as Dead and Buried, where the whole town is in on it and one person isn't. It is also very much like um, Get Out, in that you have a a class dichotomy that tells the story. You have the rich and the not rich. Oh, um, this goes straight back the to the Stepford Wives and all those. In the Stepford Wives, absolutely. Yep. Just, um, just like uh, Get Out does, you know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I think that if they took this, I think Yuzna would be smart if he took this and he and he maybe he made his protagonist uh, a person of color. It made it a little uh, more diverse. That being said, the guy that plays Billy Warnock, I absolutely was excited to see when I like turned it on and saw who it was. I was a huge fan of Days of Our Lives when I was growing up, and he played Austin's brother, um, Frankie, on the show for a long time. Yeah, so I recognized him immediately. I was like, oh, well, if he's in this, this is going to be fun. Now, you were talking about, like, the one person that's not in on it, and we do have to throw out a spoiler alert because this movie is too much fun not to talk about in detail. Um, <laughs> the reason why he's not in on it is pretty horrid, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> it's fucked up. I mean, it is. It is fucked up. And, and let me tell you, the first time when I'm watching this thing, and I, I see after he first has sex with the one girl. Spoiler alert: There's a lot of sex in this. Uh, maybe that's and why you like it. There's too. a lot of KY oh, the... jelly in this too, or something. Oh my god, uh, it's gross. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. I'm I'm like what her, her body's not supposed to be bent that way. <laughs> I say to myself, what the hell's going on here? Am I am I seeing this right? And then I don't realize what's going on as I as I watched it. He pulls the motherfucker inside out at the end. Uh huh. And he, he does. And when that happens, they're dead. I don't get. I it. don't know about that. It, you know, it, it, there's also uh, there's also the thing is after they ran out the door. You know, there was like twenty or thirty of them that were not like fucked up. They could have chased them down, but they didn't. They just let them go because they're too lazy to uh, chase people. I guess you know <laughs> after all yeah. that. You know, uh, so it just kind of ends. So there definitely needs to be. There is like more to this story. It clearly was supposed to have addition to it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, unfortunately, it didn't do very well in here and was banned, I think. In, well, I don't think it was on the video nasty list, but it might have been censored in England. Um, and, uh, you know, it did better overseas than it did here. It actually tanked here. Uh, it did really well for him overseas, apparently. Well, uh, but that was because they like that kind of stuff there. Well, I'm going to tell you why it tanked. Because the movie never finds its identity. It, it, in fact, it's almost as fluid, I want to say, almost as fluid as the special effects. Which are fantastic, in, by the way. Y- yes, they are. They are. And, and again, this is at the end. This is 1989. So we're, we're at the nearing the end of 
conventional effects because in a, a year or two you've got Terminator 2 coming out and the Abyss, which you know we now have CGI from those. So I, I love the innovation in it. And the, oh, come on, I'm a butt face. <laughs> which is a way famous thing. I mean, not only is there butt faces, there is incest in this film, there's betrayal there, yeah, in this film, there's there is really kinky sex in this movie. Uh, you know, it, and I'm not but, just but talking about the great here's stunting. Here's the problem either. was, it, it, sometimes it tries to be a teen sex comedy, and then in another breath, it tries to be this stark, serious commentary on society itself. With the rich have rich and everything, and the poor have nothing, and they're just we're just food for the rich, and, and I understand that message. But then it tries to be an, an oddball '80s horror movie, and the same breath. So it, it, again, it, it, it suffers from not being able to find itself, and I think that's why it wasn't a hit here in the states. And I don't think it's you know it's become a, a bit of a cult classic now. But again, I didn't really hear about it until you told me about this movie. Uh, it, it, did. it took a while to find its audience, but it did over the years. And I actually, for an 80s commentary, it kind of holds out on the 80s, like, rich, yuppie lifestyle. I do think it yes. pokes it all in the right places. Uh, you know, it doesn't say much. It's not meant to. I don't think it's really meant to be a big statement. I just think it's meant to be like, you know, it, it's like, uh, you know, like zombies. You know, it, every good horror film is not really literally about your monster. It's always some kind of bigger statement, you know, and that's right. what this is. It's not like it's not trying to, like, become a premise hammer and teach you a lesson. No, it's not. It's not going for that. If anything, this is an example of a horror comedy because it's actually rather funny. Even the over-the-top stuff is actually rather funny. I, I caught myself laughing and wincing a lot during this film. Right. Yeah, there was a couple of <laughs> turn-your-head scenes. <laughs> we'll just say it that way. <laughs> yeah, at one point I thought I was watching a John Hughes movie. Well, I think it definitely was trying to do that vibe, and that was the weird thing. His, his, he has, a, like, two main friends, and one is right. bigger to the story as his friend. The other one's bigger to the plot, but it really should be the other way around because his main friend suddenly just kind of – he shows up at the end, but he's just kind of not really active in the story. And the guy that should be active, the one that's doing all the weird freaky shit trying to expose the truth, he's – Barely any. Matter of fact, he disappears for most of the movie. Yep. You know, I he think there's missed the opportunity to get, to there. Get Just because they needed someone to kill, because they couldn't kill off their main character immediately. Uh, yeah, right. you know. So well, it, it made you know, sense. The story. It, it, that was one of the things it, that I bought with this. With it, I really understood that. Oh, it was kind of fun. I mean, and you, you know, and not to mention the some of those actors that are in that goo are not exactly like new actors. There's a couple classic character actors that are just absolutely covered in goo. In that you, and that's, you know, there was way too much. My parents are naked in this movie. Way yes, too much. Is, my parents are naked. There's, 
I mean, you get the one beautiful girl and the contortionist thing, and that leaves guys with a lot of fantasies. But there's a lot of real, like, nakedness. It's kind of like in heredity. Like, the nakedness is natural nakedness. It's not meant to be pleasant. It's meant to be existent. You know, this is what we look like kind of thing. <laughs> you know, right. it's got to you know, it, you know, what's another movie that did that? Lords of Salem did that too. You know, full frontal nudity that you had to look at, which wasn't beautiful. It was real. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, right. um, <laughs> Westworld's really good at presenting nudity as just being National Geographic ish. Yeah, really they, they, has... what's her name? Everyone Rachel Wood strategically plays hair. You know, <laughs> like they well, did so that, carefully. But, uh, put uh, when it's obviously a, a quote-unquote host or robot, as the case actually is, um, they don't beat around the bush hanging, letting the dick hang out. That's for sure. No. You know, so it's funny because I've, I've been watching – I watch all these video nasty trailers and stuff, and, you know, there was schlong in those movies in the trailers. Like, we have really lost our – our nerve in the United States where, you know, we, we can't look at boobs or dicks or anything without it just going into hysterics. And I'm looking at the seventies going, those trailers don't really hide anything, especially the ones for the R rated films. Like, cause no. we were supposed to be adults about this. Who would have thought? <laughs> that was then. <laughs> yeah, that was then. This is now. And, and, so, and our, our radio, our music was pure back then, but now it isn't. So there you go. It's been a reversal. <laughs> so you're mad at me because you didn't like because I made you watch some terrible horror film again, and no, you can't I'm not handle mad it anymore. I'm not I mean, mad at you at all. <laughs> I mean, come on, you have to admit it was, it was entertaining. I actually would say this was highly entertaining. Is it dolls? No, it's not dolls. Dolls. It's is got special. boobies in it. Come on, man. Re- I mean, reanimators, reanimator. But you also have the powerhouse of Stuart Gordon. Helming the whole thing. Brian Usna was usually a producer, not a director, and he only directed a few films himself. So, you know, uh, so I give Usna a pass because honestly, I like this film. I think it's a lot of fun. And Brian Usna, you know, the one thing you have to admit is he didn't pull many punches in this film. Like, you see pretty much everything he wants you to see. And that, that's fun. It's really fun when someone doesn't, you know, or they make you turn away, but just as you're turning back, you still have to look at it, right? His timing's very good. Like, he gives you three seconds, but he holds it for five. That's an old Toby Hooper trick. You know? (laughs) So, you know. (laughs) For King Kong Bundy, five count. Yeah. Yeah, he, he he was a friend of Hooper's, you know. You can see where he learned all of his skills. He also was a protege of uh, Landis, you know. So all of that, you can see where it comes from. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, he definitely loves corpses and goo and dead people and stretchy and gross. And I, I anytime people go for that aspect of horror, like, you know, Cronenberg is the high end. This is probably middle to lower end of that spectrum, somewhere the Soskas are in the middle, you know, if you know what I'm saying. But right. it definitely fits into that class of horror that always, I love watching people squirm. It's one of those kind of films where even if you don't love it, it's really fun to watch other people watch it. Okay. So you remember when the Blair Witch Project came out and it was kind of polarizing? You either loved it or you didn't? Yes. 
I got then, I got d- called stupid for loving it actually at that time okay. period. Okay. Okay, and, and and you remember the arguments that people had for why they didn't like the Blair Witch Project? That it, you know, people lost in the woods. It's not too serious. Blah blah blah. Why you just fucking walk away, et cetera, and so on. All right, and they they couldn't suspend disbelief for the movie. Okay. Um, <coughs> this week uh, out on video on demand, um, the Endless came out. Okay. And the Endless is a pseudo sequel to a movie from um, earlier in the decade called um resolution okay and it's uh written and directed by justin benson and aaron moorhead and they also star in the movie okay liz um this movie was a bigger oh wow mind fuck for me than hereditary and annihilation put together it, I, I'm not going to do any spoilers for this. All I'm going to say is that it's about two guys returning to the quote-unquote UFO death cult that they escaped from a decade before. And Resolution I had watched earlier in the week, and I kind of, after watching Resolution, kind of felt the same that the the detractors to Blair Witch Project felt. I was underwhelmed by it. And it was because I didn't understand it. The Endless allows you to understand it. And it does it in a... It tells a story. It's one of those slow burn horror movies. I know you hate to hear that. Those slow burn horror movies are the the, the modern indie horror Indie House staple. It it just means that it's paced like a foreign film. That's all that means. Right, and it and it is, and it is because these are the same guys mm-hmm. that did Spring, which was one of my it's one of my favorite Cthulhu type movies, one of my favorite Lovecraftian movies of all time. And these guys really have cosmic horror down to a fucking art form. Kid you not, it is an art form with them. And this story that they weave and they tell here, it's everything the Blair Witch Project wanted to be and has not become. I'm going to say it that way. This really is a game changer. Absolutely is a game changer. So I highly recommend that you watch Resolution. Highly recommend it. And then The Endless comes out. It's already out, right? You know, The Endless is out. I highly recommend that you watch The Endless and then go back and watch Resolution after. Don't watch it before. Watch it after. And there's a reason for that. Because what basically it is... I was going to say, he's also going to be in, Justin Benson is going to star in um, something else. That's the new Jeremy Gardner movie. So, it, you know, you're talking about a pretty stellar cast, actually. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Resolution's plot is, is simple. It's about a guy who uh, is in a cabin out in the woods, and his friend comes there to intervene with his drug addiction. He's got a crack problem. And 
the one guy spends the whole movie, most of the movie, chained to a fucking in a room on a mattress. But there's weird things happening. And when I watched Resolution, I didn't really quite understand it. And I've tried to watch it like four times, to be honest with you. And finally, I forced myself to finish watching it this week and and watch it over from the beginning. And I I still didn't get it. Then I watched The Endless, and I put everything together. Resolution is like one of those episodes of of, of a television show that when you're watching it, you're like, wow, this is a filler episode. But then you go back and it ends up being one of your favorite episodes because it was a great one that developed the story. And that's what Resolution is like compared to The Endless. You want to watch Resolution after you watch The Endless. Well, let's let's go see it. I mean, I, I look forward to it. I'm definitely going to have to see it at some point. Glad to hear. Yeah. Considering, once again, last year was a pretty stellar year for horror films. It looks like 2008 is 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 no exception. There's been got a 97 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I still haven't seen Annihilation yet. I gotta I gotta get on that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I saw her. I told you I saw Heredity recently, and I quite enjoyed it. Uh, You know, I've been enjoying this whole sub sub pagan horror film thing that's been happening the last couple of years, starting with okay, the witch you and hear the ritual. Hilarious? Yeah. On the Wikipedia page for the movie The Endless, somebody put this on there. Horror novelist and podcaster Brian Keane praised the film on social ah! media tweeting, The Endless is a true horror masterpiece. A David Lynch meets Stuart Gordon meets Don Coscarelli fever dream of Lovecraft cosmic horror that demands repeated viewings. Yes, I can't wait to watch this fucking movie again. Well, it's got the Brian Keene stamp of approval. So there it is, I guess. And for you, that's all you need. Well, I I watched it without their without their recommendations. So there you go. Yeah, that's cool. I I fell in love with Spring so much because Spring is such a good freaking movie. Spring is really good. I really enjoyed Spring, and I ho- I love the whole volcano subplot that goes with it. This uh, everything about Spring worked for me. Uh, so well, even the love uh, story know, works for me. Spring is very influential on my new novella that I got coming out, Bella's Boys, because Spring is basically a, a love a, a love story with a monster in it, and that's what mine is. But instead of it being you know in spring, it's in winter, during the blizzard of '93. <laughs> well, speaking of, yeah. of winter, we should talk about summer. Yes, we should. We should talk about summer because, you know, it is summer. And, you know, us geeks never sleep all seasons, all geek, all the time. And so we were thinking about not just horror films, but our favorite summer blockbusters or summer nerd films that every film geek should see. And so. Tommy and I have come up with two really good films. I actually love these both these films. So Tommy, why don't you start with yours? Okay, mine has a backstory. Okay, there's 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 many people out there in the in the in the world who are familiar with a movie and a play 
or quote-unquote musical named Grease. Um, now, I'm not here to pick on Grease or pick on you because you like Grease, okay? Tell but me more, you, tell me more, like did he drive Universally, uh-huh, it's recognized uh-huh, that Grease 2 uh-huh. is not a very good film, okay? I would Even fans it, of Grease um, don't I really care for Grease 2. Okay. It's, so anyway, it's better. It's better than people say it is. But go ahead. All go right. Ahead. Well, well, Liz, let me let me let me tell you here. Let me tell you here. Okay. In 1982, Beastmaster opens up, and my friends Yay. were all camping up in up. We're, we're we're all camping, and my friends all want to go see Beastmaster in town. So I asked my parents if I can go into town to watch Beastmaster with them. They say no. We're going to take you to the drive-in tonight instead. You don't need to watch two movies in one day. It's summer. <sighs> okay. So I don't go and see Beastmaster. I go to the drive-in. And guess what I get to see? Grease fucking two. <laughs> okay? All right? So the next day, I see my friends. And my friends are going to meet. Man, Beastmaster was awesome. And it had an eagle in it. And a, a, a tiger. And a... It had boobs and it had witches and it had everything. <laughs> what did you a lot of boobs for PG, man? PG yeah. boobs all the way. Woo! PG boobs Tanya everywhere. Roberts boobs. Tanya, oh, Roberts Tanya Roberts boobs. Okay, anyway, anyway, anyway. Yeah, I got to see Michelle Pfeiffer in a bad fucking movie, okay? That's what I got to see that night. Well, it's yeah. one, only one of her bad films. I mean, she, she does make Scarface. Very soon after, so you got to give her a little bit of a pass. I love Michelle Pfeiffer. I just I give no free pass on Grease too. Oh, by the way, going <laughs> okay. back to my rant earlier about it's not cool to pick on other people for things they like unless it's Nickelback. <laughs> unless it's Nickelback. Oh well, no, that's fair Nickelback. No, Nickelback's no. absolutely fair game. Uh, so yeah. and we and Winger is also fair game. Oh yeah, but, Winger. Yeah. <laughs> So, White Lion um, possibly could be on that list as well. Winger even more so, though. I mean, Beavis <laughs> and Butthead ruined Winger for, forever. So, you know. Uh, but getting back to summer films and Beastmaster, boy, yeah, do Beast I Master love this movie. Beastmaster is a great movie. Don Coscarelli knocked it out of the park with this movie. It's got John Amos in it, Rip Torn, playing the best fucking version of uh, a bad guy with horrible eyebrows I've ever seen. Um, Mark Singer... Um, Knocking out of the park, but the thing that always stuck out to me the most about this movie was the cinematography, the aerial cinematography at that while the eagles was flying, and I just fell in love with the visuals from the sky that this movie was able to make. Um, now, Beastmaster Two mm, got the girl hey, from Tony uh, hey, hey, yeah, right? yeah. hey, you know, but. Uh, this movie, it, there are some issues. It did have some issues with animal cruelty that we learned about later on in life. Yes. You know, um, so there, it, this is not like a film that we'll say that has a unmarred reputation. Uh, but I still think it holds up to this day, ultimately. Yeah. Um, everyone was, the heart was in the right place. You know, you never once like doubt that he's, Cycle connected to any of these animals, which actually is kind of an amazing feat considering magic is really hard to translate on film a lot right. of times. You know, it looks really cheeseball usually. Um, they spent well, a like fucking ton of money the, on this. The filter that they used to um, circle the screen 
with, and it really brought you into it. And you you could buy that he was seeing things through the eyes of the eagle, or through the eyes of the tiger, or through the ferrets, for that matter, the otters, whatever they were. Uh, you should also know that the reason why it looks so beautiful, and I had to remind myself of this, is that it was uh, John Alcott was the person who shot Beastmaster, and in 70, 1975, he shot my favorite cinematography of a single film of all time, and that was Barry Lyndon, Stanley Kubrick. So oh, <laughs> this nice. man is Stanley Kubrick's Oscar-winning uh, 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 cinematographer shooting, and that's one of the reasons why it looks so amazing. Is it is, and the story is even good. And Tanya Roberts and okay, so Kodo and Poto. We need to talk about Kodo and Poto for a minute. Kodo and Poto, the ferrets. The ferrets, yes. Because of Kodo and Poto, I eventually, as a result, adopted ferrets because of Kodo and Poto. Uh, I love them, and I I had to have ferrets because of Beastmaster. But I lived in California; was actually illegal. But as soon as I moved to the East Coast, and it was legal for having ferrets, I had three of them. (laughs) I was like, I'm good. I have a fucking ferret. I also met Dan Cossarelli at my very first horror convention, which was a horrifying convention. I forget the date, but it had Bruce Campbell there and uh, Angus Grimm and Dan Cossarelli were at the same table. Uh, Danny Trejo was there. Uh, the entire cast of Evil Dead was there and Dawn of the Dead. Uh, it was like one of those, like, like, you know, it spoiled me for the horror convention for life because we don't get them that good anymore. Even though we do have pretty good ones, that one was just, you know, I, I thought, is it always like this? And people are like, no. <laughs> you know, it's not always <laughs> like this. Uh, but, you know, it was a great fucking time. And so I saw the Costarelli, and of course, everyone there is for Phantasm, right? You can imagine the line is huge for Dan Costarelli. So we're sandwiched in between Bruce Campbell, Dan Costarelli, and Angus Grimm waiting for Dan Costarelli. So we get to hear Bruce Campbell and Dan Costarelli throw barbs at each other the whole time because this is right after Bubba Hotep. Matter of fact, that's what I'm getting Dan Costarelli to sign is my Bubba Hotep. And I walk up to him and I go, you know, I love Bubba Hotep. Give it to him. I even like Phantasm, but honestly, sir, my favorite film of yours is Beastmaster. And he just went, and did a double take at me, and then he took me out of line and took me to the side, and we had a full 15-minute conversation about Tanya Roberts, about Kodo and Toto, about Mark Singer, and I was just like, oh my god, Dan Costarelli is talking to me. I hardly remember anything he said, because it was my first real true guest encounter, right? <laughs> but, oh my god, it was like the coolest thing, because like, I guess nobody ever talks about Beastmaster, and I'm like, how could they not talk about Beastmaster? It was great! So anyway, <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> Told you I have a lot to talk about Beastmaster. So All right, now you have this, another movie that makes it yes, remind you of summer. Of summer, yes. Let's let's go completely opposite in a genre we don't talk about a lot, Tommy, you and I. Um, action pictures. We don't talk about it as much. Like straight up action, mm-hmm. but whenever I think about like a summer movie where I went to the summer to see the film and it was a summertime and it, it felt like a summer heist movie. I go to Catherine Bigelow, who does have a horror connection because she did Near Dark, of course, but her follow-up in 1991 was Point Break, starring Keanu Reeves, Patrick Squeezy, and Gary Busey. And uh, best I'm actually, ever. it is so good. And 
it's funny because a lot of people know the remake, but they don't know this film, or they've seen Speed and like dismiss this one, thinking that it's going to be like that. And I'm like, no, everyone is on point in this film. It's got like Lori Petty in like her most adorable moment, Gary Busey in his last great performance, I would say. He was yeah. uh, he was just starting to go on his downhill slide at this point, but he's fucking great in this movie. Keanu Reeves was was a rising star and was shooting through the stratosphere at this point, and this is really the film that did it. Uh, but Catherine Bigelow and her art director and cinematographer really what sell this film. Not just the beautiful, amazing day and night surfing sequences, which and, and also don't forget the final jump out the you know, without a, a parachute uh, you know, and the actors are really doing this stunt, which is incredible, where they're jumping out the L, you know, the airplane at the end. Um, there's even more influential shots in the steady cam sequences in this film. Uh, some of the most important steady cam ever shot in a movie. There's a whole chase sequence through the back, back, um, you know, backyards of people's houses, and it, it, it's one continuous take. And the problem is, when you watch this film now, it's so good, it's almost become a parody of itself. That's because so many other films have imitated this point break. I mean, you, you can see right. so many movies, even direct parodies like Hot Fuzz, which is another summer film I often think about, because I went to see Hot Fuzz in the summer with a beer at Beer Garden, and that was just like the best combination ever. Uh, you know, so... Uh, but, you know, they make fun of the whole Steadicam chase sequence in so many movies. And in that one, it actually becomes a plot point. <laughs> you know? So so that's the <laughs> only problem I would say with Point Break is that it's been so parodied that people can't watch it with a straight face anymore. But really, it's it's so good. Like, it's just like the pacing, the beats, the the acting. I mean, even Keanu Reeves is really funny as Johnny Utah. And he plays exactly to his range at this time. He's not trying to be Shakespeare. He is trying to be Johnny Utah stuck up his butt undercover cop. And he totally pulls it off. I buy it every, about every minute of this film. Right. Now there's, there's so many good things about point break. It's almost a perfect action film. Um, and I've always been sold on Keanu Reeves as an actor anyway, because I'm a huge fan of the river's edge. That's a good um, movie. It's it's one of the grimmest, darkest pseudo horror films I've ever watched, um, and it is terrifying. That movie, um, it's it, and it's grim and dark, just like the Pacific Northwest that it takes place in. You know, um, the soundtrack on it, oh, God, out of this world. It's better than sing- singles, which you know, singles is pretty much considered the Seattle soundtrack. You know. Uh, with the bands that were on that, but uh, I definitely think that the River's Edge predates that. Uh, yeah, no, River's Edge is definitely older than that. Uh, his first yeah. appearance was in Dangerous Liaisons with Glenn Close and John Malkovich. Yes. A lot of people forget yep. that. And then he did River's Edge, like either right before or right after. It's somewhere around there before, you know, right in Bill, and, Bill Ted. and Ted's. It was right which, after course, Bill and Ted. Yeah, right after Bill and Ted. But you know, it's kind of amazing. You know, we're getting a third Bill and Ted song. I I I want to hope that it works because I root him on and Alexander Winters on so much because I I absolutely adored Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I still think it's it's 
as a history nerd, it is so much fun. I mean, they, they, they go places that only history geeks, like little subtle things about each character, they clearly did their homework. Like, things, choices they're making in the movie make sense. And I, I've always admired that. And Keanu Reeves right. has, is one of these people like Johnny Depp, who has a fantastic agent who knows to put him in the right movies. I mean, look at his career. Even when he's not great, the movie he is often is, like Matrix, for example. He's good in the Matrix. It's really the whole package that makes Matrix amazing. Yes, everybody that's involved in it makes it good. Uh, it's an, the ensemble. There was an ensemble cast movie from the 90s, too, that brings me back to summer as well. And it, it's not always a good reason that it brings me back to summer. Because you know what? Um, between August 1st and September, uh, Labor Day weekend of 1990, I saw Young Guns 2 <laughs> five times. Too. <laughs> five times twice. because I saw it at the drive-in. Now the, I lived in Glens Falls, New York, at the time, and that's uh, near Lake George, New York, a resort community. And they have a great drive-in there, and they show first-run movies, but they also show with them a movie from the week before. And um, the first week that uh, Young Guns Two opened up, it was great because it had Die Hard Two as its freaking opener. Yeah. Okay, that was cool. Um, then the next week I got to see Die Hard, uh, Young Guns 2 with Flatliners. Yeah. And then the next week I got to see Young Guns 2 with The Exorcist 3. Yeah. <laughs> then the next week I got to see Young Guns 2 with Darkman. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got to see Young Guns. And here's the problem. You couldn't go late to the freaking drive-in because you couldn't get a good spot. Because if you were going to just say, oh, fuck off to freaking Young Guns 2 and come late, no, you were screwed. You weren't getting in. So you had to go there early, and you had to sit through goddamn Young Guns, too, for a month straight. It was like hell. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you got to suffer for your art, man. You yes, know? I do. I'm going to put that in one of the books. <laughs> when it's down in a blaze of glory. No? No. Okay. So we got some big what shit coming up. Fuck yeah, we do. I mean, oh my God, I'm going to, uh, in just a few days, I'm going to be on an airplane flying to San Diego for my other podcast, Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches, to see, to go to the granddaddy of all conventions, San Diego Comic Con. I don't even know what to do, Tommy. I mean, there might be something as too much of a good thing. I have never seen so many panels step up a game ever. Usually there's like a couple, two, three amazing panels and then some really solid ones. If you can't get into the good panel, you can go every single panel. It's like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Oh, my God, that's cool. It's all cool. I mean, I can't. And that's just the stuff on the inside. There's this whole thing on the outside and all these outside events. And I've got tickets to certain things. But we're not going to talk about it here on. Okay, no, no, hold on. Okay. We are going to talk about it for a brief moment because you're not my only friend from up this way that's going to be there. My friend Mike Kingston is going to be at booth 1901 with his comic book Headlocked with Jerry the King Lawler. Joey Ryan and a few other people there at his booth. So when you're out there at San Diego Comic Con, please stop by booth 1901 and drop in 1901. on and, and and Mike Kingston and say, hey, I podcast with Token Tom, and she'll give you a fist bump. 
Oh, and he won't give me nothing to do that. Just a fist. Yeah. I, I, so if we want to hear about, like, in-depth deep dive preview at San Diego Comic-Con, I am going to do one. Normally, this is the slot for sexy witches, and we would just be wrapping for the night. But on Thursday, 9 o'clock live, we're going to do a special episode of Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches, just myself and Erin Kogan, the cuz, and we'll do an hour or so deep dive into San Diego Comic Con schedule, what we're planning to do, and the things we're going to see, and we may even have a few surprise guests and vendors on that episode. So once again, that will be, Tommy, at 9 p.m. on Thursday the 12th of this week, um, Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches special, a preview of San Diego Comic Con. Oh, I won't be able to be with you guys on that. I won't be able to call you because I'll be DJing. No, but you can listen afterwards, and uh, we're going to – we'll have a huge recap, but not immediately because right a week after that, I have a week off, but then, Tommy, we have go time for us. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. we do. So what what (laughs) happens? Yeah, there's the air. We're all, we're in the last two weeks for that too, man. We're we're counting down. Uh, so scares yeah, the cares weekend, which is the fourth through the sixth. Is that right? I always know it's the third through the. Oh my God! I think I know the dates it, right now. It's the it's the third, fourth, and fifth. Third, fourth, and fifth. Yeah. Thank you. Oh my yes. God! I've got way too yes. much happening. Saturday, right now. August fourth <laughs> at one o'clock in the afternoon. Yep. Right. One thirty actually. One thirty in the afternoon. Is, is, One thirty to three. Archivists bet on sexy witches repo nerds. Necrocasticon All Star Panel for the thirty fifth anniversary of the British Video Nasty List. Um, because of the British Video Nasty List, you couldn't get cuts of the Beyond in our country until the nineties. I mean, it really changed the world. And not for the better, but it did leave us with this interesting list of bad films and good films kind of mushed up together that have become essential viewing for uh, horror geeks across the world. Oh, yeah. And so it's it's not just myself and Tommy Clark that'll be on that panel. We also have Erin Armitrout, my my, um, co host for Archivist Best on Sexy Witches. She has seen all but like two of the British video nasties. Amy Lee Uh, Tobin will be with us. Amy Tilma Davis, and she also has seen all but like three or four video nasties. Uh, Adam Cesar, who is an exploitation king, is Black T-shirt project on YouTube, and he's an author. And you can listen to him also read stuff um, in the afternoon. I think on Friday or Saturday. Yes. I don't know what day, but he will be doing readings. And then last but not least, Mr. Richie Yates, who announced last week that he's going to be partnering with this whole Joe Bob Briggs. Thing this weekend, folks. Don't forget on the this weekend. If you can't make it to Blogfest and you have Shutter Television, go on Shutter because Joe Box Briggs has been given a whole 24 hours of of time to curate his own schedule. And so I'm there with bells on, and he'll be doing brand new intros and everything. And they're not rebroadcasting, so you gotta watch one shot one time. So. And uh, but it's going to be like simulcasted, Tommy, through other websites and stuff. And uh, uh, Tommy Ye- uh, Richie Yates is one of the people that gets to do that. So we belong dead podcasts on YouTube. So yep. really timely, all this stuff is happening. It's pretty exciting. And uh, so we are going to do a little bit of intro. I'll talk a history of the video nasty list, and then we're going to go over our favorite 
video nasties in a, in a sexy witch round run. And then with the remainder, I might even throw some trivia in there with a few DVD giveaways. Cause I oh, nice. DVDs. So, so uh, all um, of that will be happening 1 to 3 o'clock in the podcast room downstairs at Scares oh, That yeah. Cares on Saturday the 4th. And I'm going to be there a couple of times. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in that room because I'm opening uh-huh. up the podcast room that morning with my co-host Skip Novak from our Patreon-exclusive podcast, you got to be kidding me, or you got to be fucking kidding me, as the case is, where we debunk conspiracy theories. Now, Liz, um, we're going to be doing a couple of awesome things for this podcast, so you're going to want to be there. First off, you're going to want to be there because you're going to be able to participate in the world's shortest and most successful ghost hunt ever. Okay. That's what you said. And number you two, keep saying that. Yep, it's the world's shortest and most successful ghost hunt. It will happen at Scares That Care. And number two, number two, um, we're going to be giving away T-shirts from um, You Got to Be Kidding Me and a roll, a complete roll of Reynolds wrapped tinfoil. Yes. In case you need to make a hat, anybody needs to make a hat. Okay. So. Well, you know, aging uh, aliens, man. So. Yeah, and then we're, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be debunking ancient alien theory there um, with a special guest, a scientist and author and robotics specialist, Patrick Freiveld. That'll yes. be a lot of fun. So that's on Friday night, too. right? That's, no, that's, that's Friday. on Saturday no, 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 that's morning. Saturday morning. I, I Saturday keep morning, getting, 10 uh, a.m. Ne- Necrocast account has got the last podcast, same night. 10.30 right? Saturday night, yes, is right, the Necrocast account. And we're going to have some, uh, me and you are going to be there with some awesome guests, panelists filling in for Walter and Scott with uh, Chuck Buddha, um, Lucas Milliron, and author Mike Duke. And we're going to be talking uh, about um, classic horror in America, uh, American horror that has inspired all of us going forward, stuff like uh, the House of Southern Gables or uh, the occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. And we're going to be taking the heavy metal and we're going to be breaking it down to its root notes. We're going to have the acoustic Necrocasticon Orchestra. We're going to be jamming out some tunes in there. So make sure you bring your maraca or your tambourine. You know, you guys were yelling. I do have a pan flute, Tommy. You know that, right? You have a pan flute? Well, bring the pan flute. You want me to bring the the pan flute? flute. Oh, bring the pan flute. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, make sure you you learn the words to Square Hammer and uh, Dance Macabre. I already know Square Hammer, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I'm also going to be on two, two more podcasts during this whole thing because, you know, oh, yes. I just, you know, I'm going to be on Friday night. I think it's eight, nine o'clock. I think it is. Um, I will be on the uh, Dark Discussions podcast with Michael Darwin. And uh, it sounds like Philip, his co-host, is going to be there, Eric Perrin, who's the actual producer of the show. And we are going to yeah, be talking... Oh, you definitely should. The 50th anniversary of Night of the Living Dead. That's what we're going to talk about and its influence on films and zombie films of, of our modern well, generation. In so September, that's kind of the, uh-huh. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to be at a 50th anniversary showing of Night of the Living Dead with John Russo present at the place on nice. the 50th anniversary. Fabulous, fabulous. So this is all very timely. And then yes. on Saturday afternoon, I think it's in the, in the five-ish time slot, 
right before they close down the podcast room for the contest. We have the last podcast before they reopen it. Um, it's uh, Amy Tobin Davis's After Dark Analysis, which is you can find on YouTube. And she's going to be talking uh, the French extremity. So we're going to talk French New Wave horror that came out in the aught, early aughts, like Martyrs and Frontiers and Hot Tension. Oh, cool. That's, yeah, a, that's, so, a niche, that's a niche subgenre. Yeah, well, but it is one that matters for horror geeks. Kinda and like there's some blob. really strong films in there. Hmm? Kind of like The Blob. Well, The Blob is The Blob. The Blob is influential. Yeah. The Blob was the first Blobby. truly successful independent horror film of its type. Uh, you know, there, there's so much history and, and relevance to The Blob, not even as a movie, but like how it was made, who made it. You know, that's another... I've done... Two episodes of Archivist Feds on Sexy, which is specifically on the blob. Yeah, he's the best. He's the best um, teenager this side of thirty. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, so the only person and, that's yeah. pulled off playing an eighteen-year-old better than that was Patrick Swayze in Red Dawn when he was forty. Well, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. So, well, we probably should close it up for the night, Tommy. At this point, but I decided because you know this is my thread on Block Talk that I am pulling your card for our next episode in August. And this is oh, why, yeah? because August is uh, annually Animation August. I've always done animation devoted episodes in August, and I think Repo Nerd okay. should be no exception. And I found one that you hadn't seen, and so. If I have to make a copy of it and mail it to you, because won't, we won't be coming back till August with our next Repo Nerds, I will do that. But I am going to make you watch a film that's very dear to my heart. The original uh, 1976 film called Allegro Non Troppo. It's an animated film by the, direct Brit- uh, by the um, Italian animator uh, Bruno Bozzetto, which is basically... Um, it's Italy's version of Walt Disney. Matter of fact, this is a parody of Fantasia, Tommy, and an adult parody. It's not a kid's film at all. And in matter of fact, there's a lot of politics and a lot of humor in this. You'll actually get a lot of kick out of this. Um, it was, but Disney took so offense to this film, the comfrey they did, they actually successfully got it banned out of the United States until the early 90s. And I went to one of the first screenings in the United States when I was in my 20s of this film uh, because they finally allowed it in this country on a special tour. Um, I own it on DVD now. It was one of those those DVDs as soon as it came out. I was going to make sure I had a copy. Um, I will give you a heads up, Tommy. It takes a little bit of it to get going. There's long black and white segments, which are worth worth watching, but be patient because once the animation kicks in and it's done like vignettes, just like Fantasia. There's lots of, you know, smaller pieces of music through it. Um, you will real. I think as a musician, you'll really appreciate this. Okay. So send me the name of it. You can bring me a Allegro copy of the scares. John Tropo. You know what it sounds like? It sounds uh-huh. like a ghost. It sounds like the title to a ghost song. Well, maybe. Allegro Non Tropo is a um, you know, musical uh, direction. It's fast and rising or not rising. Is that right? Yeah. I should know that. I you Do you read music as a metal musician? No, uh, I can't read music. I, I, I can I, look I at do. the notes and understand kind of what it's doing, but I can't mm-hmm. fully read it. I, I can read music. It's one of the few things I can actually do. Uh, so, yeah. It, tell that's me what an chords actual... it is, though. I'll play them. 
<laughs> yeah, you, I, I I was a flout player um, when I was in high school, so I could definitely read music. That's um, why you have so. a pan flute. Uh, well, no, that's because I collect weird and odd instruments. I even have a giant gourd downstairs that's used as a drum. Okay, I could read so that. If I play, if I play, if I play locomotion, locomotive breath from Jethro Tull, you can do the flute solo with your pan flute. Maybe not. I'm not so sure. It's not like I said. It's not actually my plan flute. It's my husband's plan flute. Oh, uh, oh, but man. I can I can get That's a note bummer. of it. <laughs> I can try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll do anything once, I guess. So, so Tommy, where can they find you on the interwebs? Um, Tom Clark, author on Facebook. I'm at Token Bottom Score Tom on Twitter. Um, you can find my podcasts. Uh, on Project Entertainment Network, uh, the Necrocast Con that I'm on, and the shows I produce, like the Curtain Jerkers and Three Guys with Beards and Defenders Dialogue and Library at the End of the World and all that happy stuff. And we just posted the current episode of Necrocast Con last night, so you can go on the Project Entertainment Network uh, website and you could download it, and uh, that would be nice too. Uh, of course, you can always go and find any of our podcasting on Stitcher, Roku, Apple Television, iTunes, Spreaker. I'm on Spreaker now, which is some weird one, and Google TV. Uh, you know, so I mean, we're we're in all these weird like places where you can find any of these stuff. So <laughs> look for us there. Uh, right. You can find me on the interwebs uh, at my personal profile on Facebook, which is actually where I usually catch a lot of information. Elizabeth Catherine Gray or at the Sexy Witches, which is also my Twitter handle for Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches, as Repo Nerds. Repo Nerds does not have his own Twitter account. I usually post through the Sexy Witches page when we do a Repo Nerds. Uh, and um, if you really want to talk serious horror and talk about society, the best group that I manage, and I manage several film groups, is the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness, which right now is just a horror fan site where we talk about wonderful films, and there's a lot of bloggers and writers in that group in particular, uh, but in October, those bloggers are no longer there, become friends, they become the fiercest film competition on Facebook. So all of that, come find me. I'm around. Yeah, 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 yep, 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 yep. I've been 300 days without Game of Thrones, Liz. It's all I right. I can Thrones. handle it. Uh, I, I've got I've got plenty of video nasties to keep me in the loop. I just watched one this afternoon. I'm saving it for Necrocasticon. Uh, so, uh, you know, just keep plugging along. And I've got San Diego staring me in the face. I am going to go to the Vikings panel. At least I'm going to try as well as the Bob Burgers and Archers panel. I have decided those are the ones that I'm going to shoot for so keep my your fingers crossed for me tommy yeah all right they are crossed Absolutely. yeah so all right so <sighs> folks, are we gonna call it a night here kid yep i think that's it we're, we're done for the night and uh you know thank you all for listening and if you listen live thank you if you want to download us thank you once again find us out there on speak spreaker itunes and blog talk and all the places that they put us nowadays. <laughs> and um, yes. thank you again. We'll be back sometime in August, probably after Scares It Cares, because, you know, we're just going to be really, really tired for a couple of days. But yeah, in like th- mid August, we'll come back. I, I think we're going to record an episode there. We might. We might. 
So yeah. uh, maybe that's how we'll do it. I'll bring my Allegro No Tropo to Scares the Care. We'll watch it on Thursday night. <sighs> okay. Instead of Down singing karaoke. Oh no, 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 no. I got a that's Aaron and I got a date. Thank you. Oh, okay. Okay. We'll work on that later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah, Friday like afternoon very, before like things get crazy. That place. Yeah, well maybe we'll do it Friday after early afternoon before everything starts to get thrown down. So anyway. Good night, Tommy. I'll go. see you soon. Yes, Much you love. will, dear. And thank you all for listening. Repo Nerds is written and produced by Thomas R. Clark and Elizabeth Catherine Gray for Loud Sound Productions and Click and Clack Productions. Music provided by Dan Leedenfield and The Night Keep, used with permission.
Yeah.